Time to Travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with freelance travel writer Graham Howe. Now, I'm not so sure I actually want to speak with him this evening because I'll be too busy turning green with envy. He's going to be telling us about his recent trip to the UK where he sped about in a number of different Aston Martins. Well, seriously, he doesn't he just have all the fun? And then Sarah Duff will be joining us again this evening and we'll be talking about her trip to Switzerland where she found out that there's a lot more to Switzerland than sliding down mountains with bits of carbon fibre and plastic strapped to your feet. And just a reminder, if you need any information about something you hear on Time to Travel this evening, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM or you can email me on travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, before I chat with Graham Howe, I just wanted to pass on some information I received recently. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia recently launched two new visa services centres in Johannesburg and Cape Town, providing everything you need to know when applying for a visa, as well as offering information about the kingdom. They'll be offering services such as visa application processing and passport delivery. The centres are also open for extended hours during peak season to speed up visa procedures. For more information and appointment booking details, take a look at the website. It's https colon forward slash forward slash www.vfstasheel.com. So that's V-F-S-T-A-S-H-E-E-L. Well, guess who's literally come racing into the studio this evening with a big smile on his face. It's Graham Howe. And uh, our normal food, wine and travel journalist has been off becoming a motoring journalist by all accounts. Graham, welcome to the show. Good evening. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be back on the show. So why are you dashing about in fancy cars? I suppose I I write a lot about lifestyle brands and some of the uh, luxury motor cars uh, certainly fall into that uh, category. And I must say that the this I went over to um, the UK recently for the centenary of Aston Martin, which is a, a, an iconic British car, uh, one of the most famous luxury sports cars in the world. And what really attracted me was the the sort of whole James Bond connection. Uh, it took me back to the days of my Aston Martin D5 that appeared in uh, a Goldfinger in 1964, exactly 50 years ago, in fact, this year. And I think most boys I knew had that little dinky, that little corgi model with the ejector seat. And apparently if I'd kept it and the box, it's worth thousands of rats today. I wouldn't have um, gone scavenging for it. I think it's probably with. the closest I'll ever get to owning a real <laughs> Aston Martin. But it was great to go over to their their headquarters in Gaydon in the Midlands in Britain, in Warwickshire, and actually have a look at both the, the Aston Martins, the, the, the new models that they're building now, and also to have a look at their heritage showroom, which has, you know, the original Aston Martin from 1914, 100 years ago, which was in fact called the Coal Scuttle because of the shape of the uh, bonnet. And since then, obviously, it's become a lot more streamlined. But it's always been a sort of quintessential British car. And I was intrigued to find out that Kate and William had drove away from Buckingham Palace in an Aston Martin uh, on their honeymoon after their wedding. So it sort of remains both a, a very traditional and very modern British car and, and one that just captured my imagination. The, the cars in the showroom, not only do they have that original Aston Martin, which was in fact named, the whole brand is named after Lionel Martin. Martin, the first owner who drove up a hill called Aston Hill in the days that hill climbs used to be the way of testing British cars. Uh, and this is sort of all on dirt roads, you know, on sort of muddy hills. And to test their power, they would have these hill climbs. And Lionel Martin drove the first Aston Martin up the Aston Hill on the Buckinghamshire estate of Alfred Rothschild, the famous banker. I've seen some of the old black and white pictures. And in the, in the audience that day was, in fact, was a very a, a young Sterling. Moss looking at the car, who became, of course, one of Britain's most famous racing drivers. Now, you mentioned Sterling Moss. Now, you gave me some notes about some of those cars, and one of the cars there was the DBR1, Sterling Moss's car that he raced at Le Mans in, 1950, well, in the 1950s. And it's worth close to 500 million rand. Is that right? Well, it's it's valued at 25 million pounds. I saw it in the restoration showroom at Newport Pagnell, which is the spiritual home of, of Aston Martin and where a lot of the restoration and a lot of the customized work is done. And in fact, 
they well they quoted they said it's worth 25 million pounds and every year they have a thing called the Bonham auction where they auction what they call barn finds sometimes these are the skeletons of old Aston Martins from the 30s or 40s or 50s that they find lying in the brambles um, and one last year even had the skeleton of a cat in the back um, <laughs> that they found in a barn and um, they raise about 10 million pounds a year so the the older Aston Martins are, are worth an absolute um, fortune and of course only 71,000 cars have been handmade and they really are handcrafted uh, on a tour of the uh, factory we saw the seamstresses uh, sewing I think they sew an average of seven bull hides supplied by a particular Scottish leather company into the interior of every car so and every car is in fact signed off by a key uh, Aston Martin individual, and his name goes on a plaque underneath the bonnet of each car that's made. So as a result, these, these cars do collect a lot of value, and every year this auction actually benchmarks the, the collector's cars, including ones with... with found with the skeleton of a cat, cat in the back. And it's wonderful to see some of the uh, artisans. I interviewed two. One had worked there for 40 years and one only for 25, who he called his apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> and they were selecting, you know, the leather for mm. all the different parts of the car and all the options, you know, all the customized options. But, of course, you can buy a new Aston Martin for a lot less, for around 2 million rands. Oh, the cheaper models. In mm. Santon and in, in Cape Town. But now, this all sounds fabulous. And you went around the factory and you looked at all of this, but did you get to drive any of, obviously not the 500 million rand sterling Moss one, but did they let you near any of the others? Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, we would wake up each morning at this this wonderful country house, Mallory Court, we were staying at in, in, the, uh, in the Midlands, look out on the courtyard of this lovely old stone sort of medieval country house, and there would be six gleaming Aston Martins, each a different model, you know, the top of the line, Vanquish, and, and their repeat S, and then the, the lovely DB9s, the range that appears, the DB5 appeared in five James Bond films. It's, it's named after the owner, David Brown, but they're the classic uh, coupes. And they would be sitting there in the courtyard waiting for us to um, drive with not a bead of moisture in the middle of the, the fog in early spring. And we would, we would then get to test drive one in, in the morning, one in the afternoon. Eight, eight South African journalists divided into pairs of four. I picked a, an experienced uh, motoring correspondent, what some people would call a petrol head or a motor head. <laughs> And I can tell you, dinner conversation was fascinating, all about <laughs> torque and cambers and shafts and suspension and damping. So I did pick up a whole new a language, a whole new, new sort of motor speak while I was there. And then we would get to drive these cars in pairs off through the Cotswolds, for example. In fact, I couldn't help thinking about the irony because the first day that we were out and about, we drove the, the old Fossway, which is the oldest Roman road in, and the straightest Roman road that runs right through Britain. And here we were. In these sort of state-of-the-art sports cars on, on what was originally a Roman road, driving through the Cotswolds via places like Stow-on-the-Wold and Morton in the Marsh and Chipping Norton, these very evocative old medieval English villages, and, and, and then we would go thundering through on our convoy of Aston Martins, yeah, well, either I mean, the coupes or with the roof down, um, which, was, which was actually very exhilarating. But these roads are quite narrow and small. I mean, how did you actually get up to any speed on these roads? Or? We, we did, and, and, and Karen, I'm sure, you know, you, you would have done it with, with was, great yes. ease. <laughs> and in fact, I was thinking yes. we would have made a great pair uh, behind the wheel. With you have driven my with me before. My mm. navigating skills and your, your high-speed skills at getting places <laughs> in 10 minutes, miles away. So, in fact, those tall hedges and, and narrow lanes and dry stone walls are all... And But fortunately, the first thing we did was to sign all the insurance forms. Oh, so right, I'm that sure. we were completely covered, you know, sitting behind the wheel of cars worth three to five million rand, you would not want to even curb the, the wheel, you know, and scratch the hubcaps. But they're amazing because, in fact, I when I got, they gave me this little remote when I took the first car out, a DB9, uh, uh, which is a, a silver Skyfall coupe. Sorry, before we carry on, you do know that there are guys out there listening to this actually not liking you very much at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm hoping I'm not mixing my models up no. either because they know this sort of stuff. And, you know, I just thought Silver Skyfall sounds good. You know, I'll do my Daniel Craig bit. Okay. So I got behind the wheel and I looked at this remote and I said, is, is this a flash drive with pictures on? <laughs> <laughs> this is very good of you. And to give us pictures already. And they laughed and said, no, no, you just put that into the console there. But make sure you keep your foot on the brake. Because in 4.1 seconds, it gets up to 100 kilometers an hour. Oh, my goodness. So I put it in, 
and it just roars into life. And that's part of the fun, in fact, is the, is the way that it does. And, and everything's very um, automatic. You can either drive it on full manual, but there's no clutch. I started feeling around with my feet with, for the clutch, and there's no clutch. Instead, you get these two little paddles above the steering wheel, tiny little paddles. The one goes up six gears, and the, the other one drops at six gears to you know, decelerate. Time, yeah, no, not at a time. Well, I suppose say, you could if you flipped it. You could it, if you, you flipped know. it very fast. And, but, okay. I mean, even the windscreen wipers... Um, if they sense there's any moisture on the screen, they start wiping at a pace that won't, you know, that's completely sort of invisible, but moisture gone, and the lights come on automatically. And best of all um, was that you there are little buttons which I started playing around with. One said S. I hit that. It was, I didn't. It's a sports button, and it tightens the suspension up. And these are super light cars. I mean, they're they're made from this aluminium and carbon fiber uh, finish. They warn you not to ex- accelerate too sort of violently. Otherwise, the car simply does take off. It also enhances all the sound effects, so that it, it sort of snarls and growls, and it just you feel like a million bucks in in this car. And this is from you know I said to the one of the uh the most experienced motoring correspondents there, you know, what do you normally drive? Thinking I might get a bumper sticker that says my other car's an Aston Martin to put on our ordinary, you know, mm. car at home. He said, don't tell anyone, but it's a city golf. So <laughs> <laughs> it made me feel a lot better that I wasn't the only one feeling thoroughly spoiled driving through the Cotswolds. And of course, it also has a fabulous sound system with little B&O turrets that rise from the front of the car. And then lastly, because I'm a really big, as you know, really tall person, but they're these amazing bucket seats that you get into and eventually your head's literally sticking out the back window so <laughs> it takes you and I couldn't get out of the car I actually needed help I, I couldn't find the door handle inside because it's all so sleek and they come up like swan doors and if I, I when I got back to the hotel I realized I'd, I'd, I'd actually have to call for help to get out of the car or spend the <laughs> night in it um, so it was it was really quite an experience but especially looking at some of the really old pre-war models mm. which are just you know the finishes are absolutely beautiful they've even got the model with the uh, machine guns mounted on the bonnet and those those tire slashes oh, yes. that came out and the you know it could also throw an oil slick out the back of the car and they've got that sort of model on the showroom from uh, one of the i think daniel craig movies of course he appeared in casino royale and talking of casino and, and quantum of solace and skyfall and talking of casino royale one day we went out on what is called the the millbrook proving ground and it's really a sort of racetrack to test cars. And each of us was assigned a driving instructor, many of whom have raced in Le Mans and the Aston Martin sort of a team of racing drivers. And so they would sit with us, we'd put on our helmets and then go down the mile straight and I was actually reading what I thought was kilometers on the, on the left, but in fact, on the speedometer, it had miles on the inside and kilometers on the outside. So I was happily doing sort of 150, 160, 170 kilometers an hour, thinking this is pretty damn fast, when I suddenly noticed it was miles. In other words, I'd hit 250 kilometers an hour, and I was thinking this is jolly fast. I wonder if, the, if, if I'm reading things right. And this was on the, called on the mile straight, where you mm. test the cars out, and then they have others a handling circuit. And then finally, I got to take one of the Aston Martins out. I think it was the Vanquished, the, the real top-of-the-range model. And I took it on a uh, – the. I was coming up a hill, and uh, the instructor said to me, give it a bit of stick. So I sort of flattened the accelerator, and the car literally took off over the hill. All four wheels left the ground, and uh, one had that sort of gravity lurch. And as we came back down, he said, gee, I thought you were going to try and uh, emulate Daniel Craig there for a minute. I said, what do you mean? He said he set the world record for rolling an Aston Martin on that hill. That's the hill from Casino Royale we just took, <laughs> and he rolled it seven times. I thought, I thought you were going to try and beat him there for a minute. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was great fun. And, of course, those Aston Martins have appeared in many exhilarating mm. car chases um, if you think of and every James Bond from George Lazenby in On Her Majesty's Secret Service to Timothy Dalton The Living Daylights Pierce Brosnan in Golden Eye and Daniel Craig and Sean Connery of course the original have all um, driven Aston Martin so they call it the lasting Bond in fact the relationship between Aston Martin and Bond they're two sort of very British icons 
And apparently the twenty I think it's the twenty fourth Bond movie is due for release in October the two thousand and fifteen. And they're saying one should probably watch out for a new Aston Martin model because they often launch these mm. limited series uh, models in a new James Bond movie. I've just finished watching a very nice miniseries called Fleming the Man Who Would Be Bond, and it's about Ian Fleming before he started writing the oh, Bond, yes, the Bond yes. books. And um, yeah, it wasn't exactly the most savoury character to be honest, but it was <laughs> a very Ian interesting Fleming, yes, Ian Fleming. Yes. Yeah, it was a very interesting. Um, miniseries and it actually ended where he married and went on honeymoon and was writing his first book Casino Royale on, oh. on his honeymoon in Jamaica well, if, any, if any of your listeners are, are going to be in London there's a new exhibition called Bond in Motion which is about the relationship between Bond and Aston Martins um, opens at the London Film Museum in, in April and will run for a while and there's also a wonderful exhibition called The Century of Craftsmanship at the Heritage Motor Centre which is next door to Aston Martins headquarters in Gaydon and there they have a priceless collection of all the British cars over the years from you know MG, Mini, Morris Minor, Jaguar and Triumph and in this massive motor car museum which if you're into vintage motor cars I mean it's just quite amazing and there the Aston Martin exhibition is called A Century of Craftsmanship and they have Aston Martins on loan from Sterling Moss and other famous British drivers. In fact while we were there they have a quirky section at the Heritage Motor Centre with many of the cars that have been customised for movies over the years, like the Pink Thunderbird used by uh, Lady Penelope and the Morris Minor used by Miss Marple. And then we also saw the Land Rovers, which were used in the films Judge Dredd and, and driven by Laura Croft in the film Tomb Raider. So that's a bit of fun as well on the side. And in fact, around the museum, they have this very eccentric timeline that shows a lot of motoring history, like when the 10 millionth car was on the road in Britain, it was only in 1967, and seatbelts were only made compulsory in 1983 and the first speed cameras were, were legal only in 1991 but they also had when baked beans were first yeah, sold in a Heinz can why, which why is in the early 1900s because it's such a British icon as well okay, so they had a lot of these sort of key <laughs> right down to that famous three-wheeled car Robin Reliance Mr Bean car there yes. and then the <laughs> latest uh, mini and I saw a prototype McLaren F1 on the track and a bus and fortunately, they test tanks, apparently, for the British Army on this proving ground. So I didn't overtake any oh, tanks, good. but I did go past a bus oh, at, at, uh, at a high speed. And then in the evening, it was very nice. We sort of retired to Mallory Court, this Relais and Chateau um, hotel, lovely old stone country house where the Earl of Warwick used to live being in Warwickshire, and, and we would wake up to other British icons like Haddock and Poached Eggs for Breakfast, mm. uh, Kippers, and Wonderful Fair uh, every evening, because it works up quite an appetite tearing around the countryside at speed. And we also visited um, one of the main organic farms in Britain called uh, Dalesford, which was uh, very nice as well, very, very good experience. And it was lovely to see South African organic wine on the shelf there, but most people were just photographing, all, every, all the customers came out to photograph our... The Fleet of Aston Martins <laughs> parked outside. You also uh, went off to Heston Blumenthal's restaurant. I did, yes. On the last day, we drove up to back up to Heathrow via Bray, which is the village where, of course, the Fat Duck, one of the most famous restaurants, I think mm. it's rated second or third uh, in the world in the UK restaurant top 50 listings. A few years ago, he bought a very old pub, I think it's about 600 years old, called the Heinz Head. It's opposite the Fat Duck, and we didn't have time to do the whole sort of, you know, a uh, 12-course uh, fine dining option for lunch um, with Aston Martins. We had places to go and places to race to. So we went and had a wonderful lunch. And while entering the Heinz Head with this very um, low entrance, people were obviously a lot shorter 500 yeah, years they were. ago. I was very amused to see the sign above it said, sort of in ye older English, duck or grouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was duck or complain. Yes, you know? absolutely. And in fact, there was another really lovely saying over this 500-year-old fireplace that said, fear knocked on the door and Faith replied and at the door there was no one there you know they, they had mm. these sort of lovely old English sayings and at the Heinz Head we enjoyed a very traditional British lunch of pea and ham soup the most divine oxtail and kidney suet pudding and treacle tart um, before reluctantly handing over our uh, super luxury sports cars but in fact I stayed on for a few days to visit uh, my brother and, and was going to take a transfer back down to Rugby, where he lives, and, and works for Jaguar. Much to my amazement, they said, why don't you just 
take take one of these cards for the next five days. Oh my goodness! And enjoy yourself. Get your brother to sign the insurance forms. So later that evening, having set the、uh, sat nav, which was very smart, I must say, and it. T- took me through about fifty roundabouts, three lane roundabouts, where you've got to be in the right lane. And I think only in Britain could such a polite system of motoring work. Where you know.、Um, and anyway, I pulled up at my brother's house with this sort of roar and grumble, thinking, "I hope I can get out of this car now, out of my, <laughs> yeah, my deep bucket seat." Takes away some of that whole、yeah. sort of style. If you arrive and you can't get out of the car, you know. <laughs> and you're staring at your feet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But believe me, these interiors are just unbelievable. Style has every technology. So they. Gave me the one that my nieces would enjoy, the one with two TVs set in the back、oh, wow. of the seats. It's their only four-door car, the、uh, Rapide S, and, and I mean it, it is a beautiful car. You need one and a half parking spaces to park it in, but I mean it is. It、oh, is, really? And it was in Skyfall Silvers,、so, <laughs> and I saw my brother practically fall off the couch, and he. Oh, you、uh, didn't warn him you were coming no, up. No, no, and, and he assumed you know I was being dropped off by taxi、mm. and came out, and then. He, He said, "Is that you behind the wheels?"、So、I rolled the window down and tried to look really cool and waved and said, "Yes, could you find the door handle and I'll be able to get out and give you a hug." <laughs> so、uh, anyway, for, for the next、uh, four days, while I was parked in the driveway, we had to take the local kids for a drive, and they were all watching the TV and bringing their fav- favorite DVD. And、quite、I must admit, was was impressed the entire neighborhood. Quite a popular、um, uncle for、so、a few I, days. Yes,、mm. um, and my young niece Lulu casually told a neighbor, "Oh, I think it's one of my uncle's cars. <laughs> <laughs> He's visiting from South Africa." <laughs> So struck gold or hit the diamonds or something. You obviously Absolutely, you know. One neighbour said, "I can see times are tough." To、yeah. my brother. <laughs> So we reluctantly returned the car a few days later, but were able to put it through its paces and, and test it as a family、mm. car. And I must say, I asked my brother, who's who's been in cars all his life, you know, what he thought of it, and he said, "Look, the the engineering is is just superb." He said, "the the response and the suspension. I mean, you really feel like you're gliding on air, even at high speed on these country roads. It does make you feel like a million bucks. It has amazing style as a car. But as for the power, I mean, the combination of power and elegance is really amazing." So I did get to feel what it what it, what it's like to be like、uh, James Bond for seven days, but without the ejector seat. <laughs> All right. There was actually a, a few months ago. I was actually see if I can't find it again. There was a hotel somewhere around there that was offering the special package deal that included staying at this very very fancy hotel, which included、yes. also. A trip in the one of the Aston Martins, I think. Oh, is that a, so? Yeah, and it was a sort of a package deal. Sa- yes. And、um, yeah, it was actually it, it was way out of my price range. Let me tell you, but it, they were offering it for those who could afford it. And of course, you can also go down and have a look at、uh, in South Africa if you're in Johannesburg or Cape Town、mm. at the Aston Martins on show down at the waterfront in Cape Town and in Sandton. And if you can afford a fifteen thousand rand service, which is what the ten thousand k service oh, costs, oh right, it,、okay. you want to think about the extras. Have a look, but, but apparently there. Are cars under two million there, according、oh, to the, the owner of the two、mm. showrooms?、Um, I mean, taking one of those through the winelands here would be fabulous. Oh, kind of Chapman's Peak or, or something with the roof down. Yes. In fact, my、uh, my sister-in-law when I arrived said, "Gosh, you've got a new coiffed hairstyle."、So、I said, "No, <laughs> I've just had the the roof down at a hundred kilometres an hour, and I can't get my hair back down." It was the kilometres at that point, or were you still、uh, in miles? Oh, I would. Hate to think about that, but、um, this was on the racetrack, of course. We oh were, right, we were、yes. very responsible right, while、yes. we were there. But apparently, they have acoustic engineers who actually do, and the the sound of an Aston Martin is unmistakable. And one of the、uh, instructors said to me when I said, "You know, how should I drive this?" He said, "Drive it as if you're driving a motorcycle on four wheels with windows."、So、<laughs> I said, "Well, where we go then?" <laughs> Quite an experience you've had. Yes, yes, no, it was really tremendous, and it's a great way to see the landscape, as you say. As you oh, say, as you, you flash know, by, you know. So,、um, with these wonderful towns like Chipping Norton and、mm. Stow on the Wold, apparently a wold is an old、uh, name for a forested area. I think on a hill in a slight elevation. So, but we did see the Cotswolds and its wonderful limestone hills. And at one point, I thought, gee, I must have taken a radically wrong turn because I saw a sign to Malmesbury. <laughs> <laughs> But apparently it's the British, the, the British version, orig- the original、mm. one.、Um, but you would have enjoyed it, Karen, and I certainly did. We'll have to wait for the next、uh, James Bond film, and the you're、uh, not appearing, are you? Making some sort of cameo appearance in the next movie? <laughs> I might have shot you <laughs> screaming around the racetrack or something. 
Uh, but uh, apparently Daniel Craig does his own stunts, and oh, quite really? a lot of them, according to his uh, instructor and stunt driver, was asked to compare. He works with the, the world's top sort of uh, actors and uh, commented and said that uh, there was one person who really enjoyed high speed and knew how to handle a car. Um, it was Daniel Craig and that he's... he's you imagine the, the insurance on, that, on, on him for something like that. I mean, it must be phenomenal. Yeah, well, apparently, I mean, these cars are so expensive that, of course, they wreck uh, digital models these days. But they used to wreck the real thing, you mm. know, when they were But when he rolled the seven the of them, now, was that the real thing that he was rolling on that hill, do you no, think? No, that was in the, more in the modern era with the remake of Casino Royale. No, so I'm saying... That, 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 those would have been models, I'm sh- I would imagine. Well, maybe they maybe they wreck one real one and then find. They only make a few, as you said. I mean, if you think how many they make in a century, you said they only made seventy one thousand cars in a century. They're not going to give him seven of them to roll on a hill for a movie. Oh, that's Unless true. somebody bought them all, then that's yes. fine. But they're not going to give them to him to do that. Surely, and would the would the movie company have that much money to buy seven of these things? Well, at least now I know how to use a. If if you get given um, what looks like a flash drive but hasn't got oh, any right. keys on, it's called a fob apparently. Oh, right. That's not what we name. know as a fob. Like no, a not fob as a watch. fob watch. But no. this, uh, maybe it's related because it does sort of hang on a chain, I suppose. And you just drop this little fob in, which has got the famous Aston Martin mm. design, which apparently goes back to a jeweler in the early 1800s in Birmingham, and even the design is worth the fortune, you know, the, the badge mm. that, that is put on the top and has those famous Aston Martin wings. So, in fact, after you've driven one or after they've uh, finished a new model, it's the last thing they put on and they always say, now this Aston Martin has, has got its wings. I suppose, in a way, I've got my I wings I was say, too. I was about to ask, did they not give uh, you wings when you left? <laughs> little badge? They did. Oh, they yes, did. I do have a little um, pin. Oh, that's little nice. Aston so Martin. you do have your wings. Pin and an Aston Martin uh, cap. So but, you, uh, Okay. I couldn't afford the Aston Martin Not, racing coat. Uh, well, oh, gosh, okay. Well, <laughs> or jacket. Well, well, all the car I take it. And I'm and I'm now looking for a little corgi car. Oh, Apparently, they're still making them. <laughs> really? Yes, I, I, I'll have one to play with on my desk. <laughs> I have a Ferrari in a little box in my on my oh, busy, uh, yeah oh, no, at home in the cupboard. Yes, it's very small enough to fit into the cupboard. Uh, let me so, guess, it's a red one. It's a red one. Yes. <laughs> How did you guess? <laughs> little small one. In a box, yes. I couldn't afford the real thing if you if I tried. Well, Graham, I know you're off to do lots of fabulous new things, so we'll talk to you again soon, soon. But um, in the meantime, thank you for racing in here to tell us about your adventures as James Bond. Thanks, Cara. It's lovely to be back. It's great to chat with you. I was chatting there with Graham Howe. He's a freelance travel writer. He writes for the Intrepid Explorer. He blogs travel for getaway.co.za and also for wine.co.za. And he was a guest of Aston Martin. And if you'd like to find out more about what he was doing over there, it's www.astonmartin.com. And as Graham mentioned, if you'd like to go and just have a look through the window, Aston Martin has showrooms at the V&A waterfront here in Cape Town and also in Santon up in Gauteng. But like me, I'm sure, or maybe not, we just have a look through the window, won't even be able to go inside, but enjoy anyway.
just see Graham dashing about in his Aston Martin with that music playing in the background. It sort of makes you think he could actually be James Bond. Well, as I mentioned, I had some notes. I thought I knew something about this possible trip you could take. Well, I went to have a look and I found the notes that I had. And it's about a luxury Aston Martin weekend in Scotland. Basically, the holiday captures the style and glamour of the Bond films and lets you enjoy the thrills of driving a stylish Aston Martin around some key locations associated with the movies. You pick up your Aston Martin and head off on a route which will take you past Faslane Naval Base, which is featured in The Spy Who Loved Me, and The Loch by Crinan, scene of a boat chase through the Bosphorus in From Russia With Love. And what could be more Bond than staying on a private island? You cross the rickety bridge from the West Coast mainland to this idyllic hideaway and you enter a completely different world. A world of luxury, seclusion and not a little eccentricity. It's run by the effusive Beppo and his charming family and this delightful island retreat offers intriguing contrasts and pleasant surprises at every turn. You can choose to stay in a characterful room in the baronial mansion or splash out, literally, on a spa suite complete with private conservatory, patio, large lounge, luxury bathroom and outdoor jacuzzi hot tub. Here you'll learn how to make the ultimate martini, then be whisked by speedboat out to Duart Castle on Mull, traditional home of the Maclean's. And the castle, by the way, fell into ruins but was restored early in the 20th century and is once again the seat of the clan chief. The exploits of soldier and diplomat Fitzroy Hugh Maclean, who parachuted into Yugoslavia to assist the resistance in World War II, are said to have been the origins of Ian Fleming's James Bond and 007. Your return journey saves the best for last with a spectacular drive through Glencoe, setting for the dramatic finale of Skyfall. Well, to find out more and if you feel like playing James Bond for a while, take a look at www.cscotlanddifferently.co.uk. I think the first thing we must confess as church and religious communities that we have privatized religion. And so people are not able to make the connect between what they believe and how they live it out. So we need to really be focused in ensuring that we teach each other how to live. So we need to be very serious about that. That's Living Sounds between 7 and 9 p.m. every Sunday with me, Kanyuma Kubane, right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Send revival once again. Johann Sebastian Bach captures the story of the Passion of Christ as told in the canonical gospel of John in the New Testament with a dramatic composition titled St. John's Passion. The Symphony Choir of Johannesburg and the Johannesburg Festival Orchestra will be conducted by Richard Koch at the Linda Auditorium in their performance of St. John's Passion by Bach. Join me, Siduel Mlongo, for a live broadcast of this performance on Good Friday, the 18th of April, from 6 p.m. till 9 p.m. on SAFM. SFM celebrates 20 years of inspiration. Since the independence of Ghana under Kwame Nkrumah, no country in Africa has successfully adhered to the principles of a constitutional democracy except this, our country, South Africa. Let us all reflect on how our freedom was achieved. SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, Sarah Duff's back in studio with us again this evening, and Sarah is a travel writer and photographer, and uh, she goes all over the place to do the most amazing things, and uh, recently went off to Switzerland, but was a bit concerned when she got her itinerary. Sarah, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Karen. So why were you concerned when you got your itinerary? Because I couldn't find the bit where it said, go skiing. <laughs> And, and that's pretty much what you think you do in Switzerland. Yeah, well, we were going to Switzerland in winter, in the middle of winter, and I'd been to Switzerland before and skied there, and everybody else I'd known who's gone to Switzerland in winter has gone skiing, so I thought, what's the deal? <laughs> um, but it turns out we, um, I was on a press trip uh, with Swiss Tourism, and we were there to experience everything you can do in Switzerland other than ski, which turns out there's quite a lot. 
um, which I was quite surprised to find out. A lot of other snow activities, yes, though. I mean, yes. but not just the plain ski down the mountain yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when you go on a ski trip, all you do all day is ski and eat fondue. Um, you don't really do any of the other stuff on, stuff on the slopes because you're there to ski. So it was great to experience um, all the other things. We went snowshoeing at night in the mountains um, where the snow glittered underneath the stars and the moonlight, we, we hiked by moonlight oh, Sarah, between trees. That just sounds amazing. That was lovely. And we had a really great guide and we were actually looking at animal tracks in the snow like you would do in the bush. Mm. Looking at tracks in the sand, we were looking at fox tracks and hare tracks and deer tracks in the snow, which was great. And I'd never thought about going snowshoeing before. You kind of stick these big contraptions Look, onto almost your... like oversized tennis racket type Yeah, things. exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, onto your feet. And it sort of gets... Uh, make sure you uh, grip the snow so you can walk up hills and walk down. Um, there was a lot of falling in the snow too. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's softer. And glue vine drinking afterwards to warm up, of course. Never a bad thing. Yeah. And um, we tried out curling, which... Yeah, that's a weird thing. Yeah. They have that at the, at the Winter Olympics. They're yes. sort, of, sort of sweeping the ice. And that little big... Well, not little. It's a quite big round ball. Yeah. Not a ball. It's like flat disc thing. Yeah. That they push around. And then they sweep frantically yeah. as the things go. <laughs> it's the most it's bizarre thing. It's a really bizarre sport. And I'd never seen it before, so I didn't know how it worked. Oh, so right. okay. we got onto the ice rink um, in a little village one afternoon and... We had a guy, Walter, Walter, showing us how to do it. And um, he didn't really explain in English very well. So we weren't quite sure what you were supposed to do with the brooms. <laughs> sweet, Sarah, so, yeah. sweet. so we were just kind of sweeping around each other randomly. And um, there's a great photo of me letting go of the curling ball and falling flat on my face on the ice. And doing, yeah. It looks quite heavy. I've never, I've never pushed yeah. one before. It's quite heavy. Mm. So you kind of get some momentum and then let go. And, and then you go with the thing. Then you go with the thing for a bit. <laughs> and then you're supposed to get up and run after it and sweep. And I just thought, oh, no, I'm going to break a leg. Because you're on an ice rink yes. and you're actually wearing these slippery things underneath your shoes. So you really don't feel very stable. I don't. I, don't, I just don't get the, that thing. I've watched it. And it's one of those sports when you watch it on TV, you, you sort of change the channel, and there it is, and you think, "What the hell what is are this? they doing?" Yeah. And then you kind of, and then you watch for a few minutes, and then you almost it almost becomes addictive because it is so weird that you can't stop watching it. Yeah. So you watch people running up and down the ice with brooms, and it's just the most bizarre thing. At least now I know someone who's actually done it. Yeah. I've not just seen it on television. There you go. It is very weird, but very fun to do when you're in a group of people who don't take themselves very seriously. Doing so either. we were falling all over the place and sweeping <laughs> and really we were crying we were laughing so much we were crying oh, okay so you've been snowshoeing you've been curling what else did you do we went snow sledding mm. so we got on sleds and in switzerland they have demarcated slopes for sledders so you take the chairlift with the skiers and you get off at the top and you go off to the other side and get on your sled and you don't have much control and you just go down the mountain Mm. You put your feet down to slow you down, but when you're going really fast, that doesn't work. So we had a lot of wipeouts and, again, a lot of laughter and clothes filled with snow, but that was lots of fun. You pick up quite a lot of speed, so you kind of lose, get a bit breathless as you're going down because it's so fast. Lots of I mean, there was one thing you, you, what did you say? It was like a lilo with handles. What was that? Was that the... Oh, that's airboarding. That was airboarding. So yeah. that's a fairly new thing. They're trying to get it going. Not many people know about it. So it's a blown up lilo with handles. And you put a helmet on and jump on it face first and go down a hill. So that looked kind of scary to us. So we just stuck to the baby slopes. Um, but yeah, also a lot of fun, quite difficult to steer with. We were shown how to steer, but none of us could really get it at all. You kind of lean to one side to steer. So it was like being on a motorbike or something. Yeah, mm. and I'm not quite sure how you were supposed to stop. I don't know. Not if the that's feet break <laughs> again. <laughs> that didn't really work. <laughs> well, besides all of that fun in the snow, of which you seem to have had a lot, you did some other things as well, because the other thing Switzerland is known for are those beautiful mountains. Yes, beautiful mountains and beautiful railways. Mm. So the best way to... Which I might add, run on time in Switzerland. It's unbelievable. As South Africans, we just kept on, we, we kept on, we couldn't believe it, that it, it's to the second, you could actually be sitting there with your watch watching the, the second hand come round till it gets to 12 and then the train r arrives in the station on time. 
It must have been like, I could have sat there all day watching the trains arrive. It's, it's unbelievable. And um, we had, sometimes we would catch a train and then a cable car and then a train and then another cable car and everything, and we'd have, say, 30 seconds or a minute in between, and everything would run exactly on time. So we never missed a journey or a trip. You didn't try that when you came back home? No. No. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, so you just enjoyed time. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so you'll be missing everything then. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you, you had some great fun on the trains, but tell me about the mountains because you also did some trips on the railways into the mountains. Yes. Um, the best one is probably to the top of Jungfrau Joch, uh, which is a mountain which you reach from a town called Wengen. So you take a little train and it actually goes to the highest railway station in Europe, which is the top of this mountain. And you go quite steep up and as you are going up you stop um, at little stations well they aren't really stations they're actually just windows in the mountain looking out so you're inside the mountain actually inside a glacier and there's these windows looking out um, we were in a blizzard so you just saw white looking out we got to the top of the Jungfrau Jörg got out of the train and walked outside to get views because it's pretty spectacular. They call it the top of Europe because you can see so far and you see all the top of the Swiss Alps. And it was minus 20 degrees. I nearly a little chilly. Yeah. yeah. A little chilly. Um, it was, it was unbelievably cold. It was, we were laughing because we were so cold, but when you smile, your teeth actually hurt because they're <laughs> exposed to the cold. So we only managed a few seconds out there. But there's some other fun stuff to do at the top there. There's an ice palace um, where it's... Uh, inside the glacier so it's permanent it's year-round ice so even in summer they have ice sculptures inside there and that's where they mature Swiss whiskey which they actually make um, at uh, the lake at the bottom of the mountain and then they bring the whiskey up in barrels and mature it inside the glacier. Wow that's quite unusual. Yeah which we didn't get to try because I think it was about 400 euros for a bottle oh, no. or something. Weren't that keen on whiskey that yeah, day at yeah. all. No. <laughs> Right, so after you spent up, up your time up there, you went off to a little town called Muren. Yes. A tiny little town. Yes, Muren mm. was lovely. We thought we'd been to Wengen, which um, was a beautiful little car-free town, which we thought was great. And then we went to Muren, which was even smaller. It's only 350 people who live there. And we had Rene taking us around, who was um, the guy in the tourism office of Muren, but he was also the fireman and also the police liaison. <laughs> and we were joking, maybe he's also the mayor of the town too. <laughs> So it's that sort of place, you know, he, he knew everybody in the street and he even showed us the little fire engine. He unlocked the little fire engine door and showed us that. So part of our tour. What was there to see in Muren then, um, if it's so tiny? Some beautiful cabins, two little churches, an ice rink and the fire engine. That was about it. And but, little restaurants and bakeries yeah, and all yeah. the usual sort of Swiss stuff yeah, that they've got there. It's really chocolate box Switzerland, you know. There's no cars in Muren, so people ski along the streets. So you suddenly hear a tongue and you look around behind you, there's someone <laughs> speeding along on skis on the road because everything's covered in snow, obviously. Oh my goodness. Very close to this tiny little town with the uh, multi-talented fire chief or whoever he was, there's also, is it Shilthorn Mountain that's got a sort of a James Bond connection to it? Yes, at the top of Shilthorn Mountain is a revolving restaurant called Piz Gloria. Um, and that's actually where On Her Majesty's Secret Service was shot, or well, part of the movie was shot, and it was the hideout lair of the baddie in the movie. And there's some great scenes in the movie with Bond and his female accomplice skiing down the slopes of the mountain. So it was great to go and actually visit the restaurant. And it's similar to the Ritz Revolving Restaurant or the Roma Revolving Restaurant in Durban, where you sit and the restaurant, you turn with the restaurant. Mm. And it's so high up that you have the spectacular view of the snowy Alps and you eat your 007 James Bond burger and 007 spaghetti bolognese. That's very creative names. Yeah, and okay. 007 cappuccino um, <laughs> while, you, <laughs> while you have this amazing view. And there's an interactive James Bond museum in, downstairs from the restaurant, which was actually a lot of fun. You get to sit in the helicopter and pretend that you're flying around the Alps and sit in the James Bond getaway car and find out how they did a lot of the stunt scenes and the skiing in the movie, which was great. Fabulous. Okay, so you sort of tear yourself away from that. And then your last stop, I think, was Engelberg. And that was a monastery, apparently, at one point. Yes. Um, Engelberg means Angel Mountain. And it was founded because a monk looked up behind one of the Alps and saw a vision of an angel. So they founded a monastery there. I think it's about a thousand years old. And today the town is uh, one of central Switzerland's biggest ski resorts. 
and quite a lot bigger than the other towns we stayed in, but also lovely, lots of nice restaurants. So we ate a lot of fondue and raclette there. I've never eaten so much cheese in my life, I must mm, say. That's, that's right up my alley. I love cheese, but I might well, just have like had enough of it over there. Okay. Yeah, um, it gave us terrible nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> well, you did, you know you the did thing comment that you shouldn't have it too late at night. Yes, mm. yeah, that's what Swiss people told us. They said, don't eat raclette or fondue and go to bed right afterwards. And we ignored them. And one night I really had hallucinogenic um, nightmares after eating raclette. And I thought it was just me, but it turns out the other people who'd also eaten the raclette had had the same thing. So one tip, if you go to Switzerland and you eat raclette, go to the bar And just explain what raclette is. We've done it on the show before, but just for those who maybe missed that episode of the show, raclette, it's also still to do with cheese. Yes, so Mm. it's quite a strong cheese. And what they do is they give you a, it's like a cheese melter that comes to your table and you put cheese on it and it melts underneath and then you eat the melted cheese with boiled potatoes and gherkins and pickled onions so you get the sort of cheesiness with the starch and the acidic pickling here yeah, I don't think it's the healthiest meal ever, no. but it is delicious. So you see cholesterol going through the roof at yeah. this point, but you have to try it if you're in Switzerland. Yes, I mean, it's one of those. To. Maybe just do it once if you have an, a cholesterol issue, but don't do it more than yeah. that. Well, I'm not sure how Swiss people are all generally on the skinny side of things, so I'm not quite <laughs> sure how they do it because all they seem Maybe to it's eat genetics. is genetics. Well, they eat bread, mm. potatoes, cheese, glühwein, chocolate. They probably all burn it up a lot faster than we yeah. do because they're moving around and it's cold and they've got to keep themselves warm. And so, you know, but we live in this beautifully warm country. We don't need to stuff ourselves mm. full of that on a regular basis. That's true. You and know? they also all ski from about the age of two. Mm. We, we watch TV while on couches. Yes. Yeah, from about <laughs> the age of two. Right. So, okay, you were up there in Engelberg and you saw the monastery. You went, no, it was a monastery about a thousand years ago. And you said you can stay in the village. But also there you went like snow tubing almost with like we do here with water tubing they did it on the slopes yes yeah they've got a kind of adventure park halfway up the mountain there where you can go snow tubing and you can go airboarding which we did and you can go sledding which was a lot of fun they've also got an igloo hotel which has to be just about the most amazing unique hotel i've ever been to we didn't actually spend a night there but we went and had a look at it and they've got 16 rooms and they are inside an igloo so you sleep inside an igloo and the rooms are beautiful and quite cozy, despite the fact that it's zero degrees. So each room has a different animal carving carved into the wall. And you sleep on fake fur on top of the bed, and they give you very, very warm sleeping bags that can withstand minus 40 degrees. And I think you probably sleep in all your clothes with a beanie and something covering <laughs> your face. Um, but you sleep in there, and they have a jacuzzi, which you can sit in and drink Glühwein and watch snow fall yeah, That sounds down. rather fun. Yeah, very romantic. And they mm. do have a, a honeymoon suite, and it is quite a special place if you don't mind the cold to spend your honeymoon. It gives you an excuse to snuggle up and keep warm. Yeah. So, you know, not that bad. That sounds like an interesting thing to do. But then you also went up on this revolving aerial cable car. Tell me about that. Yes, it was, was that? It's the first revolving cable car in the world, I think. And it was a spectacular trip where you know similar to the revolving to other revolving cable cars but you're going to very very high in the swiss alps from there you could almost see to austria and italy because you were so high so you're going round and round and all you can see is snow and mountains and some skiers on the very 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 dangerous black runs where there's a chance of avalanches so Mm. yeah yeah, not, and that, that, I think that was where you said, and I liked your analogy here, you said that as you headed up to what looked like the world beyond the wall in Games of Thrones. Yes. I mean, the game of, in the Game of Thrones. Yeah. I mean, And that's just this desolate, nothing, white yeah. world. I mean, you don't see anything other than just white no, no. everywhere. Yeah, um, it really did remind me of, of that world beyond the wall, and I kept on thinking I was going to see White Walkers or yeah. Jon Snow <laughs> or something. <laughs> Because it was quite windy that day, so you hear the, the sound of the wind. And there weren't actually that many skiers that day because I think there was a threat of avalanches. So there weren't many people up there, and we went quite late in the afternoon, and all you can see is white and mountains. Once, once we reached the top, we went to the highest suspension bridge in Europe, which, if you're scared of heights, is probably not somewhere that you'd like to go to. It was kind of hung on suspenders and all metallic and cables and stuff, and it was very, it was pretty windy, so the whole thing was shaking. And obviously, we got on and started jumping around, taking photos, and the whole thing was shaking. And just underneath you is this drop to the bottom of the mountain down a sheer cliff face. So, yeah, I loved it, but if you're scared of heights, 
probably not right. a great idea. Bear in mind, if you spot Sarah somewhere, don't get on a suspension bridge with her because she's likely to jump on it. Not something I will be joining you on as a suspension bridge. You can go and do jump on it by yourself. Where did you stay while you were there? We stayed at lovely little pensions in the town. We stayed at my favorite place was the Hotel Appenrus, which was in Murin, which is a family-run little cabin hotel. So it's all wooden cabin, and you have a lovely little cozy room with a balcony that looks over the village. But really, I mean, everywhere we stayed in in Switzerland was wonderful, and you can't really go wrong there. Um, I think their, their sort of quality of accommodation is very high. Similar to their quality of their timekeeping when it comes yes, to trains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're quite good at those God, things. That sounds amazing. How did you get there? We flew on Edelweiss Airlines, which uh, flies to Zurich direct from Cape Town twice a week from October to May, so during the winter season. Um, so it's really convenient. If you live in Cape Town, you don't have to do that horrible flight to Joburg, wait around in Joburg, and then fly from there. But if you do live in Joburg, you can fly on Swiss Airlines, which flies direct to Zurich, and it's a nine-hour flight, so it's, it's pretty, pretty quick. easy. And yeah. no time sort of changes and all no, that sort of thing to no. any great degree. So. No, and then it's so easy. We picked up Swiss rail passes at the airport, and um, so they were valid for cable cars and trains for the whole of our stay so we just hopped on and off trains i don't think we even got a car in a car the whole time we were there gosh and, be, and being all these small little villages that you went to i'm assuming that the trains run to all of these or the buses run there so you you're not going to have a problem moving around no it's so easy and people everyone spe speaks english so we got lost a couple of times and people were super helpful and yeah Always found our way. So <laughs> how, how pleased were you that they sort of, in inverted commas, lost your itinerary with the part, the part of the itinerary that said you're going skiing? Were you very glad not to have gone and to have done something different for a change? I am because, yeah, when you ski, you don't think about going sledding or snowshoeing or anything like that. You just want to go skiing. And it was really great to experience all these other things on the snow. And next time I go back, I'll definitely ski, but I'd love to do all the other stuff too. And it's nice to know that if you're not a skier, which some people aren't, you know, they've got knee problems or maybe it's just not their thing, that there's a lot to do in Switzerland. So maybe you're going with your family and the rest of the family wants to ski. There's more than enough stuff to fill your days with there. And are most of these other things offered at the ski resorts? I mean, yes. if, if the family's off skiing somewhere, you yeah. can go off either snowshoeing or whatever thing, the lilo with the handles <laughs> on it, airboarding yeah. or curling or, or something. Curling or sledding. You can go and do something else. Yeah. You don't have yeah. to go skiing. Sure. That's actually rather nice to know because a lot of people get put off if they're not into the whole skiing thing and think, oh, I really don't want to go because I don't ski. But now there is something else for you to yeah. do as well. And it's and it's just so wonderful being there. It's so beautiful. The the lakes are the color of Hall's cough syrup lozenges. You know, that really mm, that like blue. icy blue. Yes, yeah. yeah. And the mountain air is so fresh and you wake up in the morning and it's snowed overnight so you can't open your window. So it's it's a magical winter wonderland that if you don't ski, definitely go there because you'll, you'll be missing out if you don't. Well, definitely something. One of Sarah's tips is another thing from the bucket list now. I'd say so. Done and dusted. Yeah. We're doing well here, Sarah. Must have a lot more on there. And I'm sure you'll be telling us all about that. And you went off to Kenya quite recently, so we're going to talk to you about that next time. Yes, yeah. I just we'll, got back from Kenya. We look forward to you joining us then. I was chatting there with Sarah Duff, and she's a travel writer and photographer. And if you'd like to find out more about what she's been doing, you can have a look at her web her website. It's www.sarahduff.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, last year, you, the listeners, were absolutely amazing when I asked you to tell me about your favorite places in South Africa. I called the project My Town, and your response was fantastic. I'm hoping that this year you will again let me know about those special places. Perhaps it's somewhere close to where you live, or perhaps it's somewhere you've been on holiday. It doesn't have to be a big tourist attraction. It could just be something you've seen and enjoyed. It would be great if you could drop me an email on travel at safm.co.za, or you could post something on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. I'd love to hear from you so that we can share all those wonderful places with the rest of the listeners. And as I did last year, in some cases, I even invited the listeners to join me on the show to talk about their discoveries themselves. So start thinking and start emailing or posting. I'm looking very forward to hearing from you. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And I'll be back with you again next Monday evening, just after nine, with the Law Report. And on Monday, I'll be joined by attorney Michael Bagram, and we'll be talking about labor law. We won't be taking any calls on Monday evening because Michael needed some time to talk to you about different types of employment, as well as what he likes to call time limits. It's the amount of time 
before when you when something happens, for example, if you are retrenched or you are fired or there's a disciplinary hearing or whatever the thing is that happens to you, it's the amount of time that you have to be able to lodge either an appeal or a complaint. It's one of those things we have a lot of calls on the show every week where people leave things, unfortunately, a little bit too long and then it's too late for them to be able to get any recourse. So Michael wants to talk about time limits and about different types of employment. So that's next Monday, the Law Report, the 21st of April. Well, it's time now for some nighttime music.